Hello. Well, this is the fourth and final week of Advent, um, and today we rejoice. The fourth week of Advent is, is a day of rejoicing that Jesus has come, and Jesus has brought joy to the whole world, has brought the, the world to worship him, sons and daughters from every people on earth. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. The title of the sermon this morning is Let Earth Receive Her King. And this is the message of Advent. We can know joy because the Lord has come. And so this morning we're going to do something a little different. We're going to stand together for the reading of of God's Word. Let's stand and uh, allow our hearts and our minds to be reminded and impressed by and set in awe of Jesus as we read Hebrews chapter 1, the first three verses. This is the word of the Lord. Long ago, God spoke many times and in many ways to our ancestors through the prophets. And now in these final days, he has spoken to us through his son. God promised everything to the son as an inheritance. And through the son, he created the universe. The sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sins, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. This is the Jesus, the Lord, the King of kings who has come that we celebrate and receive at Christmas. Church, let's pray together. Father, we come this morning to rally around and set in the presence of the living God. We put Jesus out before everything today. We pray, God, that by the power of your Spirit that you would be high and lifted up in the hearts and in the minds of every man and woman and young adult and child in this room, that we would today receive our King, for the Lord has come. We pray this, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Well, the Christmas season is certainly a mix of, of hard, happy times. Uh, there's families right now that are rejoicing, and, and this is just the best time of year, and this happens to be a great year for them. There are other families in crisis right now, the lowest point perhaps of the year or possibly even of their life. Christmas is a season of great paradoxes, and as Christians, as we navigate the happiness of the mythical Santa Claus and the gifts that he brings alongside the true joy that is found in the birth of Jesus and all that represents for us, we discover the paradoxes of the Christmas season. A few years ago, I was reading an article written by a leader in the Episcopalian church uh, who was attempting to clear up some of the confusion between Christian Christmas and culture's Christmas. I'm just going to read a, a part of what he wrote, but he wrote these words. He said, there are few causes to which I'm more passionately committed than that of Santa Claus. Santa Claus deserves not just any place in the church, but the highest place of honor where he should be enthroned as the long-bearded ancient of days, the divine and holy one 
whom we call God. Now, that is utter nonsense, obviously. Uh, is Santa the one of whom the angels sing? Uh, is Santa who gives gifts to the good but withholds blessings from the bad? Is he really the good news of great joy that the angels proclaim in Luke chapter 2? Is Santa Claus the Lord of heaven whom the earth is to receive as her king? See, it is important for us, church, to separate in our heart the word of God from the traditions of culture. It is good for us to be sober-minded and clear-hearted about who Jesus is and what Christmas really is. And there is an odd juxtaposition at Christmas time for the Christian. The, the setting alongside of two different traditions. There's the odd juxtaposition of the biblical story of Jesus' birth set alongside the carnival mentality that goes along with the bright decorations and the pictures of Santa that are so prevalent. Uh, there's the humility and the poverty of a birth in the first century stable set alongside the wealth and the indulgence of gift giving that we enjoy in our culture. Uh, there's the quietness of a Bethlehem night versus the roar of the shopping mall, if you're brave and crazy enough to do those things this time of year. Uh, there's the awesome power of the incarnation that's set alongside the stillness and the silliness of a fireplace and stockings and chimneys and flying reindeer. The juxtapositions are, of Christmas are everywhere this time of year. As we consider the young, obedient Mary and Joseph competing with North Pole elves in our children's minds and imaginations as they fall asleep. See, as Christians, we feel the sharp contrast between what we know about the coming of the Lord and the way we celebrate Christmas because there is a sharp contrast in nearly every way our culture celebrates the holiday. And so today, Church, let's settle the confusion in our hearts and be clear about why Christmas is even a thing. Christmas is only in all about the good news of Jesus. The Gospel writer Luke gives the most sweeping and detailed narrative of the birth of Jesus. And I encourage you, uh, maybe Christmas Eve, uh, that evening, or Christmas morning, to gather your, your friends, your family, whoever you, you're living with, your roommates, whatever, and just read the first two chapters of the book of Luke. Because in Luke chapter 1 and 2, you will read and recall and rehearse, perhaps, the most amazing account of Jesus' birth, and you will read the most detailed prescription for joy available to all of humanity. The story of Christmas is the story of humanity meeting Jesus and finding full and forever joy in God as we receive our King. And Luke begins the story with uh, the birth of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was a man who was born to very old parents, parents who are far outside of the years that you normally would conceive a child. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth were their names. And Zechariah and Elizabeth were actually never able to have children. The Bible tells us that Elizabeth was barren, and so they had no children up until John was born. And John was given to them supernaturally by God at a very old age. And the angel comes, visits John's father, Zechariah, to tell him what would happen. And he says this in Luke chapter 1. The angel tells, tells Zechariah, Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, 
Many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he will go before him to make ready for the Lord a people prepared for him. See, even before the baby is born, the message is a message of joy. The Lord is preparing the way for the Savior. And even in the preparation, we find tremendous joy. The message is a message of joy. The earth rejoices at the birth of John the Baptist because he prepares the way for the king. And John's message was simple. Repent. Turn away. Turn away from sin. Turn away from misery. For a Savior is coming for us. God's kingdom is finally here, was John's message. The king is coming to save humanity and spread his joy. And John would declare, prepare yourself for the coming of the king. And then the king of glory arrives from heaven. But the king comes not as anyone expected him to come. This long ago promised, much anticipated Messiah, the savior king, Jesus, comes from heaven through the womb of a poor teenager who had become pregnant before she was even married. Very unexpected, scandalous circumstances. Jesus is then born in a filthy animal barn located behind an inn. He's, furthermore, he's born in a town called Bethlehem. And then he would be raised in Nazareth. These are two little kind of crummy places that are very far from Jerusalem, which is where everything in the spiritual life of Israel happened. Everyone was expecting the Messiah to come to Jerusalem. Jesus is born in Bethlehem and then raised in Nazareth of all places. And then that night of his birth, he's visited by some scandalous guests. Very unexpected, but very specifically invited guests that evening. Shepherds. Now, shepherds were shepherds because they couldn't be anything else. It wasn't because they liked camping that they were out with sheep in the fields in the middle of winter, right? They weren't like hardcore guys. They were outcasts. They couldn't do anything else. And so they tended sheep out in the fields. They smelled. They were dirty. And so that meant that they were ritualistically unclean, and they were kept at a different distance. They were necessary, but kind of out there in society, Listen to this invitation, Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. This is the coming of the king, church. It says, that night there were shepherds staying in the field nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep, and suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them. Now, we, we see in movies uh, an angel kind of hovering above the shepherds is usually the way it's depicted. The angel didn't come to, to the shepherds, it says very specifically that the angel came among the shepherds. That the, the angel was in the presence of the shepherds to the point where it says, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded the shepherds. They were invited in to this glory circle, this glory bubble, the presence of the glory of God that was emitted from these angels. These shepherds were brought to a holy place that no living human at that time in Israel had ever been. This is a sacred moment for all humanity, and it was happening to shepherds outside of Bethlehem, far away from Jerusalem. The Lord had come, and, the, and God is excited to tell the shepherds. It says they were obviously. Verse 10, but the angel assures them, don't, don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news. That will bring, and here it is again, great joy to all people. 
For the Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you'll recognize him this way. He's like, here's what to look for, right? And they're like, okay, got my notepad out. He's like, you're going to find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a feeding trough in a barn. Right? Like, come again? The Messiah? And then in verse 13, suddenly the angel is joined by a vast host of others, the army of heaven praising God and saying glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. The angels have invited the shepherds in to worship the living God. It says that they hurried to the village. Oh, and it says, when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, hey, let's go to Bethlehem, right? Let's see this thing that's happened, which the Lord told us about. So they hurry to the village. They find Mary and Joseph, and there's the baby lying in the manger. After seeing him, the shepherds tell everybody, right, what had happened and what the angel had said to them about the child. All who heard the shepherd's story were astonished. But Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Verse 20, it says, the shepherds went back to their flocks. They returned to the field. They returned to their station in culture far away from the religious life of Israel. They returned to their field, but listen to how they returned. It says they were glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, for it was just as the angel had told him. The shepherds go back to guarding their sheep outside in the cold, away from other people, dirty, looked down upon, They had their moment of of glory, right? Being able to actually talk to other people and getting the attention of normal people. People look interested in their story. Really? That happened? It's incredible. But see, these shepherds on this night returned to their posts flooded with joy. Because that night, those shepherds heard a heavenly choir sing a chorus. Guys, that we sing every Christmas ever since that night. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare room for him. Let all of heaven and nature sing. The angels rejoice in the name of the Lord. See, that night the shepherds had left that cold and miserable field filled with fear and curiosity over what they had heard, over what they were told. But then they return back to that same field filled with joy over what they had seen and experienced. The king had come as a baby and brought the fullness of joy for everyone who would turn to Jesus and look upon him. The shepherds had beheld the king who had come as a child. But see, the gospel accounts don't just leave Jesus in the manger. They don't just leave Jesus as a baby. The story that we read in the book of Luke is a story of the world receiving Jesus and finding the fullness of joy in God. And apart from Jesus... The people of the world sit apart from God, like shepherds sitting in a dark field, separated from anything within the life of God. Apart from Jesus, we sit in the guilt of sin, but we also sit in the mess of sin. The Old Testament prophet Isaiah diagnosed the spiritual condition as people sitting in darkness, he would say. That was kind of Isaiah's phrase for Israel's place before God uh, in his day. There were people who were far from God that resisted the idea of God among them. And we need to be saved, he would say, from the guilt of sin. But as we know in our own lives, we also need to be saved from the mess of sin in our lives and in our relationships. 
That's exactly what Israel was being told at the time of the prophet Isaiah. 700 years before the coming of Jesus, Isaiah is sent by God to call people back to God. And as he would do this, as Isaiah would go and call people back to God, he would announce a coming judgment from God. Now, we have uh, the the unique advantage of of being able to look back at history, and we know that the the hand of God back then was displayed and brought about through the Assyrian invasion of Israel. Remember that Assyria invaded Israel, conquered Israel, and then enslaved the people of Israel. But Isaiah would also not just announce this coming invasion, but also would comfort Israel with the promise of rescue, the hope of restoration to God. Uh, It was a hard message to deliver. They were were being chastened by God. They were being purified by God. But God would be with them. And the message of Isaiah is God is with you. And in due time, God will restore you. God promised a Savior King to come to us, to save us, to restore us, and to rule over us. And God would show ultimate kindness to Israel by sending this Savior King. That is the hope that is given to rebellious and hard-hearted Israel that a savior would restore us to relationship with God. And it is from the prophet Isaiah that we get and hear for the first time the name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means God with us. It's a prophetic name given to Jesus 700 years before he's born. And God would send this savior and his name would be called God is with his people. God is with us. But see, in the moment of Isaiah chapter 8, God's people are in deep rebellion to God. They they weren't really interested in that. God's chosen people were running from him, ignoring his revelation to them. Israel was ignoring the word of God. And so Isaiah exhorts Israel in chapter 8, and he says these words in verse 20. He says, look to God's instructions and teachings, he appeals to them. People who contradict his word are completely in the dark. They will go from one place to another. They'll be weary and hungry. And because they are hungry, they will rage and curse their king and their God. They will look up to heaven and they will look down at the earth. But wherever they look, there will be trouble and anguish and dark despair. They will be thrown out into the darkness. Now, those are hard words for Israel. But if you just think about that for a second, Isaiah is describing the state of our culture right now. As our culture has set itself in opposition to God. Those words are representative of the plight of all of humanity who resist the love of God. And what we see in these words is the result of ignoring God. We see this even in the way our culture celebrates Christmas. Christmas is about Jesus. Christ is in the name Christmas, right? You don't have Christmas without Jesus. But the world ignores Jesus, and people are offended by the word Christmas now, and they insist that we say happy holidays, right? Well, do you know where the word holiday comes from? That's an ancient English word, Hollandag, which means holy day. And it was first used to, to make Easter a day that was set apart from every other day on the calendar, and then Christmas became the second Hollandag. And so all holidays are about Jesus. And so maybe we start saying happy holidays, right? Our word for holiday literally means holy day. And the day is holy. Because one holiday 
We celebrate and rejoice in the coming of the king. And the second, we celebrate and rejoice in his victory over sin, death, and the devil. Holy days indeed. So maybe we should be okay with that. But see, this attitude that we see in our culture, this hard-heartedness, it's just like in Isaiah's day. Israel ignored God. And our culture wants to strong-arm God. And what's happening in Israel is they were discovering among themselves and in themselves as a culture an unsatisfied longing. Isaiah talks about it in many different ways all throughout the book. And Isaiah describes this as anguish and dark despair. And he points out the messiness of this condition. He says, wherever you look, there will be trouble. I I remember that long season of my life. Everywhere I looked, there was trouble. Darkness and despair. See, sin complicates circumstances. Sin creates brokenness. Sin divides people, and sin separates people from God. And so Isaiah pronounces to Israel the chastening of God. They will be thrown into the darkness, Isaiah says. They're they're unsatisfied. Their lives are a mess. Now they're under the judgment of God. Guys, this is a bad case scenario, okay? Isaiah's painting a pretty grim picture here. And then chapter 8 turns into chapter 9 in Isaiah. In Isaiah chapter 9, we see a light that breaks into the darkness. Let's look at verse 1 and 2. Isaiah says, Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles of all places, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, it will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. Dark situation for Israel. Restless, sitting in despair, sitting in their own sin squalor as it was. The messiness of sin all around them as a culture. But the Lord promises that there is coming a day of light, that God will save them. This is a promise of the coming Messiah 700 years before he comes. Chapter 7, verse 14, Isaiah says this, that the Lord himself will give you the sign. He he, he even gives the specific details of the coming of this king. He says, look, the virgin will conceive a child, and she will give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. See, here's the promise to Israel. Here's the promise to the whole world that the Lord, the rescuer, is coming. The plight of the world is that because of our own sinfulness, we are woefully unsatisfied. There's trouble on every side. We sit under the heavy hand of God, as the psalmist would put it. But Isaiah says there is coming a rescuer. And then Matthew quotes Isaiah, and he tells us who this rescuer is. And he says in Matthew chapter 4, verse 16, the people who sat past tense, the people who once sat in darkness have now seen a great light. For those who lived in the land where death casts its shadow, a light has shined. Matthew is saying that that promise, which was made 700 years ago, has been fulfilled. There is now walking among us the light that was promised by Isaiah. The promise is first given to Israel, and it's about the restoration of Israel. And guys, it is still pertinent to Israel. Jesus is Israel's Messiah. Jesus will restore Israel. But this is also a promise for us. 
What was meant for Israel is ultimately meant for the whole world. Jesus is not just the Savior of Israel. He's also the Savior of the whole world. Listen to how Isaiah puts it in chapter 9, verse 3. He says, you will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest and like warriors dividing plunder. There's a sharp contrast here between chapters 8 and 9 in Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 8 is about darkness and despair and anguish and trouble and rejection and judgment and being cast out and darkness. Isaiah chapter 9 is about the dawning of this light and the hope that we have and the restoration of Israel. Isaiah chapter 9 is about Jesus. Isaiah chapter 9 is about God coming to earth and doing something about what is described in chapter 8. And see, with Advent, this season of anticipating and looking to the coming of the Lord, there is the hope of joy, of true joy in the midst of darkness, in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of anguish and despair and trouble and judgment. God's response and God's answer is joy. And this joy is exclusive from anything we can do. We didn't earn this joy. We didn't deserve this joy. This joy comes to us from God as a free, unmerited, undeserved gift. That is the gift of Christmas. Christmas is a holy day where God alone gives one gift that brings humanity joy. God's loving plan is to save us from our own mess and give us joy and hope. This is why the angels in the field make a very particular announcement to those poor shepherds that night. Luke chapter 2, look in verse 10, it says, the angel says to them, do not be afraid. This is the New American Standard I'm reading from now. Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord, Messiah, the ruler, the one who will deal with your anguish and darkness. The despair that was felt in Israel in the time of Isaiah was the same despair that was felt in Israel when Jesus was born. It was no longer the uh, impending Assyrian invasion that Israel was sitting in fear of. It was now the the conquest, the, the conquering Romans that the Israel was living underneath of. It went from bad to worse under the Romans. There were no prophets in the land. God had been silent for 400 years since Malachi. Israel waited for the hope of God to arrive. There's despair. There's darkness as they try to ignore their rebellion, as they harden their hearts toward God. Israel's in a bad spot when Jesus comes. But their their hearts collectively ached in despair, aching in judgment, sitting under the judgment of God. And the angel comes with good news that brings great joy. No wonder people were listening to stinking shepherds as they ran through the streets. God's salvation brings great joy. And listen, we we need great joy. Because apart from God, we accrue far more debt in our sin and our rebellion against God than we ever could with a credit card at Christmas time. And the good news that brings great joy is that Jesus cancels this debt. That the sin debt was nailed to the cross when Jesus had spikes physically driven through his body. And by allowing Jesus 
to pay our sin debt, we are set free from the debt of sin. We are set free from the thing that God has against us. Jesus lifts that from us. And in doing this, Jesus defeats our enemy. He defeats sin. And he conquered death. And he defangs and defeats the devil. And the devil is a real enemy who's prowling in desperation, wanting to keep us in our shame, wanting to keep us in our guilt, wanting to keep us in our addiction, wanting to keep us in conflict with others. Satan wants our marriages to fail. He wants our children to rebel. He wants our men to remain immature. He wants our society to crumble. Satan wants our never-satisfied longings to take take us into deeper places of brokenness and abuse. But Jesus defeats this enemy on the cross, and he has broken the slavery and the chains that keep us in slavery to sin. Jesus has done that. And this slavery was very real to Israel. Israel was going to be enslaved to the Assyrians, just like they had been enslaved to the Egyptians previously, just like they would once again be enslaved to the Babylonians, just like they would be subject to the Romans, just like we are enslaved and subject to the devil and to our sin apart from Jesus. And then Christmas happened. Advent happened. God drapes himself in humanity, becomes a baby, lays in a manger, stepping out of heaven to save us from our oppression and our sin. And God not only saves us from the judgment of sin, God also saves us from our sad wandering and our lesser joys and the mess that sin creates in our lives. God is a true Savior in Jesus. And when God promises this Savior, He's promising this Savior to a people who are so deeply messed up that they actually look a lot like we do. Listen to how Isaiah describes it in chapter 8, verse 19. He says, someone may say to you, hey, let's ask the mediums and those who consult the spirits of the dead with their whisperings and mutterings. They will tell us what to do. But shouldn't people ask God for guidance from the dead? See, now that might seem crazy to you, right? But it's not really that far-fetched in our culture, seeking mediums, looking for answers in places other than from God. We do this, right? Some people might turn to astrology or, or become superstitious, but more often we turn to money or we look to power or we turn to politics, or political leaders, or political parties, or political movements. We, we look to lesser saviors. We look to humans to save us from things that we were not created to save one another from. There is a savior. And this looking to other places or other people, it creates a never-ending dissatisfaction. It creates a never-ending wandering in us because none of these things are our help. None of these things are our consolation. None of these things are our Savior. We find ourselves in the same place that Israel was in in Isaiah's time. Wandering in anguish. A culture that's marked by darkness and depression and despair. Trouble on every side. And Jesus enters onto the scene and he says this in John chapter 15. He says, these things I have spoken to you. And here's the purpose of his message. He says, so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be made full. That is the message of Christmas. 
that your joy would be made full as the joy of the living King of kings is in you. As the Lord of lords dwells in me, so I find my joy. Jesus comes to bring us joy. We were made by God. We were made for God. We were made to be with God. We were made to be doing the things that God is doing with God. And we are incomplete and restless without God. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. He sets all things right. In culture, there is hope in Jesus. In your family, there is hope in Jesus. In your addiction, there is hope for good news of great joy in Jesus. Jesus removes guilt and shame and fear. Jesus breaks the chains of slavery. Jesus restores the brokenhearted. Jesus heals and frees the addict. Jesus satisfies our longing for joy and acceptance and identity and peace, and he sets all things right for humanity. Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness, and Christmas reminds us that God is near to the brokenhearted, that God, in fact, pursues the brokenhearted. Not only is he not afraid of your drama, not only does he not just kind of sort of avoid your drama because, you know, it's drama, God goes right after your drama. He goes right for it. He smells drama, and he's like a, a shark after the blood in the water, right? He has come to heal and restore and give light and hope and life. That is the message of Christmas. Jesus went all the way under all of culture. He didn't come to a wealthy family. He didn't come to a middle-class family. He didn't come to a poor family. He went to an unwed, dirt-poor, single teenager and is born in a barn in Bethlehem and invites shepherds, the lowest of the low, to come and worship him. He gets underneath it all and he says, I've come for all of humanity. And then he lifts it all up and puts it on his shoulders. Jesus is able to meet you right where you are at. You are not too far gone. You are not too far separated. You, you are not too far broken. You're not too far addicted. <laughs> Praise Jesus. See, the joy of the world is that the baby born in a manger, this preacher of good news, the Son of God, was crucified on a cross. He is the King who conquered the grave. Jesus rose from a grave and reigns in glory. And as that amazing Christmas hymn goes on to declare in the second verse, it says that he rules the world with truth and grace, and he makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. Jesus is restoring all things to himself. The Lord has come to bring the world to worship God and to be with God. Let every heart prepare him room today, church. If you have not yet received the gift of Christmas, the one and only gift of Christmas, it's not some stupid bell off of Santa's sleigh. The one true gift of Christmas is new life, is the light that leads to life as the Apostle John says in John chapter 1. The Apostle Paul would beg you right now in this moment, and he would say this, Romans chapter 10, 
He would say, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. God has given you the opportunity even today to make that confession now. This is the message of Christmas. Our Lord has come. God is with us. There's no confusing Christmas message in the Bible. The birth of Christ is the birth of salvation and hope and joy for all of mankind. This is why we rejoice. This is why Christmas is a season of joy. Let's rejoice together and receive and worship our King today. Amen? Father God, we thank you for the good news of Christmas. We thank you that the Lord has come. And God, this morning we have gathered here to worship you and receive our King. I pray this morning for the hopeless, those who are living in fear, those who are, who are gripped by doubt and confusion, those who are going through hard times, God, that you would preach to them, Holy Spirit, the message of hope that is found only in Jesus and that they would receive the gift of Christmas again today and find hope for their weary souls. Thank you, God, that you have invited us into your presence to be with you. You are Emmanuel, God, with us. We love you, Lord. We now respond to you in worship. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would direct our hearts, that you would direct our minds, that you would direct our actions now. We give you all glory, all honor, and all praise, King Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. If this is the first time you've heard the Christmas message, and you're like, I want to receive that gift today. We put carpets up here on the front of, front, front of the stage to make it more comfortable. If you want to come and get on your knees and cry out to God and say, God, I want to receive that gift. I believe that Jesus is God, the Savior of the world. And I want to put my trust in him. Come and get on your knees. Christian, come and worship the king in a right posture and position of worship. The communion elements are up front for all Christians. If you're already a Christian and you're following Jesus, come and remember the gift of Christmas by partaking in communion today. There's going to be some people up here on either side. If you need prayer this morning, if you need someone to come alongside you and encourage you and to point you to Jesus, these people are ready to pray, eager to pray with you. But come, church, let us come and adore. Let us come and receive the King who was born to us.